Hey, I'm Greg. And I'm Nathaniel. Welcome to Only an Inkling, where we only talk about the Inklings. And we only have an inkling of what we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, along the lines, I still think that my natural leaning, if I'm walking into a church and I don't know anything, Mm -hmm. except maybe what I read online, I'm still going to be a lot more interested in trusting this church and considering it as a home church if i'm if that's what i'm doing is looking for a home church if if it is more scripture focused during the service Mm. i think another thing that is a good marker since you asked that question is where does the church spend its resources um in in the right proportion what i mean by that is i'm not condemning fog machines and lights and all that sort of thing, right? Or or beautiful landscape out in front of the church or whatever. I'm not condemning any aesthetic mm-hmm. stuff. What I mean is, so for example, our church gives a tremendous amount of the income that comes in through offerings. That's like 40 or 50%, which you might go, why isn't it higher? Well, because you got to pay staff and bills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a high, high percentage Um goes to missions of some kind whether it's local or abroad Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that and respect that and love that about a church and i think i think that's another good thing to look at is how how are the resources being spent is it gospel focused or is it or are we spending too high a percentage on things that are for flash and pizzazz not that you can't have any of that but what's the majority or the most possible spending going to of any one segment. Yeah. Where do you where do you find that information? You kind of have to stick around long enough to figure it no, out. You do some investigating. <laughs> you can talk to the pastors. Hopefully they're open enough. I feel like no matter what, you normally in the first couple of visits you get a baseline, mm-hmm. so you'll get some kind of pamphlet or there there will be an announcement where you kind of see the general things like um, we have small groups or these groups um, mm-hmm go and do this event from time to time so you can imagine there's there might be a little bit of funding going on to to host those yeah uh we do some missions work here's where we're going you can imagine money goes there yeah um but sometimes there are some more there are finer things to find out like uh, groups going on in the city that you didn't know your church participated in or right uh funding missionaries who uh, just because they are at risk in their location, mm-hmm. you're not able to hear about them. Right. There's money that goes. I mean, there's all kinds of yeah. um, unique well, things. Well, hopefully but... your ch- the church you're going to has that information, like yeah. what they're spending is. And so, like our church, shortly after I started going there, they, they had a meeting where everyone was welcome, and you could go and learn that. Or... You know they have the numbers, so I can I could just go ask, mm-hmm. you know, and you could find that out. But I think that's a good indicator of is this church gospel focused or not? Because mm-hmm. if all the res- if too much resources, and I don't know what that number is, you just want to see a higher ratio on this gospel oriented mission work, mm-hmm. and a, of some kind, whether that's ministry in the church or ministry outside the church, rather than a real high budget for. Flashing pizzazz, as I said, in a lower budget. It's like, man, that's that seems out of balance. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's 
the right focus. I wish on the actual financial documents the category said flash and pizzazz. Flash and pizzazz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would go over well in the yeah. congregational financial meetings. Right. Yeah. Well, what do you think about the effect that a pastor has on the congregation? Because I have never bought in, personally, I've never bought into the idea that um, a church is, is led relationally by every individual um, just because of the psychology of leadership itself, people naturally pick leaders, mm-hmm. but they do so based on their relationship with everyone in a group in which the leader arises from. Um, so let's say it's you, me, and five other people. We all are friends because we're already relating in specific ways. Right. Maybe we all like to podcast. Maybe we all like expositional preaching. We've got some things that already bind us together right. to make us friends. But then someone starts not only relating to us that way, but within our group, they start presenting uh, something we can do that paints a new way forward for us. Yeah. into the future and it's something we really like um, that tends to almost always be a key mark of a leader they <clears throat> are with you where you're at they also know how to go a step forward, forward and help you envision that but they never leave you and so I remember when I took my first job at a, at a church as a youth pastor the <clears throat> the staff told me they hired me because what they saw in me is what they'd like to see in the youth group. Hmm. They said we could see the youth group being a bunch of Gregs. Hmm. And um, man, I've got—I don't know—I've—I've uh, I've worked that over in my mind a thousand times. And I just think that's really special. Yeah. It was too powerful for me at the time. I was yeah. so young, and right. you know, but I—I. Uh, I, I only bring this up because Screwtape is saying here there are those two kinds of pastors. Right. There's the one. There's one church. If if your patient is going to be church shopping or hopping, um, on one hand, the pastor is going to be all over the place. Yeah. One day he's going to be super politically driven. The next day he um, has abandoned all human reason. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> this guy who's just like basically and nowadays we call it uh, he's having manic episodes. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it reminds but, me of those those um, memes that they have on Instagram. I'm up. I'm down. Yeah, I'm dead. I'm alive yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's this pastor. Yeah. And... Um, the patient could go to that church because this guy's just so flippant and he's not staking a claim on any given day that you're just floating around in space. Yeah. Uh, so get him to go there. But like, why would why would Screwtape want him to go there if that's like, he's not even talking about the congregation, he's just talking about how the pastor is. I think it's because Lewis still believed that the pastor still has a very influential uh, driving force mm-hmm. on the congregation. Mm-hmm. Like I have no reservations saying that. Um, yeah, I want to be like my pastor. Yeah, you know, right. he's great. He's motivating. Um, he's wise. He's calm. It's like these are these are things I want. I want to grow in more and more every day. 
but then on the other hand, what was the other pastor like? They said the other uh, pastor was like, he's spent so many years watering down the faith. Oh, that's right. For his supposedly foolish or uncomprehending congregation that yeah. he's actually the one shocking his congregants with his disbelief rather than the other way around. Yeah. So like, it sounds a lot like a modern progressive church yeah. to me. So you just you go you're going to a church service and you're basically just having a chit chat. Mm-hmm. And it's you're not learning anything about the scriptures or right. your faith in Jesus. Yeah, you're just going to have a good time with friends, which you can do in virtually any setting anymore. We're going to have a good time with friends, and then if the if Screwtape's description is right, more than that, you're also going to criticize and challenge the faith without ever landing on a resolution. Yeah, like it's just asking questions is good. But asking questions and not legitimately seeking an answer and landing in the destination is not healthy. Yeah. So. And maybe it has to do with it being lukewarm, too, because this idea of attending a church service, just think if you did this once a week for a couple months, mm-hmm. it's a lot of exposure to just water down. You're not getting anything out of it. Nothing is ever like comforting you, nor is anything ever like afflicting you and giving yeah. you a little sting. And, uh,. You don't learn any, you don't find any strength and you don't find any encouragement or any discipline. You don't find anything yeah. that makes up the Christian faith. Right. And so then you're just lukewarm. And so you just kind of settle into the normal. When I imagine from the description, you also find yourself in a situation where you, you're, you're just getting the message of, well, you're good enough as you are. You, there's no, you know, there's no, like you're saying, there's no challenge. Mm. And that's not just something we need in, in the Christian faith, although it is critically needed. It's, it's just something we need as human beings, where we don't just hear this message of, oh, you're good enough as you are. You don't, there's nothing in you that needs to change. We should all just accept one another perfectly. Like that, that just doesn't seem... beneficial to me Mm -hmm. and then there's this battle with uh in the last paragraph people fighting over words yeah and thinking that they're debating theological doctrine yeah like the biggest trick of all like he said some people will get into the thick of their arguments over a one group that says mass and the other one says holy communion Right. When neither one of them know what the heck they're talking about. And if they did any investigation at all, they would realize they had both arrived at the same conclusion. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It's a, a, what a trick that is. Yeah. Perhaps a lot of things that people are fighting over between denominations or churches, um, it's just people are getting antsy because one group is saying it one way and then the other group is saying, yeah, you're just not quite saying it the way we are. Mm -hmm. Um, there has to be some kind of like ground where we can meet each other. Yeah. You know? One well, and, and I think there's a important qualifier here, and that is that Screwtape has shortly before that, he's instructed Wormwood to keep the patient as ignorant as possible of doctrine. Right. Like real doctrine. Mm-hmm. And um, so we want them arguing over these words that they don't really know anything about and think they're like you're pointing out, arguing theology. But um, we don't really want them to know theology. And I think 
a safeguard against that is actually to uh, say no to the common idea in Christian churches today, at least where we live, uh, where, where a lot of congregants think that theology is a bad word, that doctrine's scary terminology, and that mm. it's like, no, actually the safeguard would be to, act, to really learn what those are. Because then when you know what they are, you not only can you now discuss them adequately, but but you probably will feel less of a need to fight about it. Yeah. Because you realize, well, we actually agree <laughs> on what's yeah. important anyway. <laughs> you know, or if you, if you could get some kind of, get your hands on um, a book and go through it in a group yeah. that is, um, it's like a survey of doctrines. Yeah. Like, um can't even remember the name of the class at at I took at Fuller Seminary and it was one of the greatest experiences I had because um, we basically had to examine your essential theological doctrines but mm-hmm. they were always from four different standpoints mm. and then my professor was so facetious I know she got a kick out of it <laughs> at one point we had read these statements in this book by a gentleman and uh, it turns out that his he's a, his wife is a Buddhist and he's a practicing Protestant. Interesting. And it like just shook all of us young whippersnappers up because um, the book was so riveting and it led you to praise God and love God more. And so you you would say his theology was sound and then you're all tore up about the fact that his wife is Buddhist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh what a great experience though and it just kind of loosens you up but at anyways my point is just like every topic we covered was from four different theological perspectives and like let's be honest at the end of a lot of those you say okay there is like way too much for me to wrap my head around here but it looks like the essentials we can all get around here so maybe we can all chill out a bit yeah yeah I would agree with you. Yeah, there are there are those individuals um, out there who will get. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just a personality thing or if they're just so sunk into their theological alignment that they will just nitpick and argue over every little thing that you say that doesn't sound right to them. Well, you got to get it right, man. But but I think in general. A well-rounded understanding of theology of doctrine actually lowers conflict in churches rather than raises it interesting I think the thing you're you're painting about the real off-putting nature of the one who has to get it all right that's the negative thing people mean when they say theology anymore yes when I first started going to Fuller Seminary I announced it to our church. I was so excited. This lady comes up to me afterwards. She goes, where are you, you going to go again for ministry? I said, oh, I'm going to go to Fuller Seminary. She goes, she started taking steps backwards, and she's shaking her head. She goes, no, 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 don't do that. She said, just preach, just preach. And I'm kind of like, what are you saying? But I know what she meant. Yeah. It was, um, theology is like despicable it just tears people apart there's nothing good about it just preach though like you can't just preach apart from theology yeah you're going to do theology whether you understand it or not yeah it's unavoidable so it's better to understand it and know have the tools to navigate it 
better, hopefully well, and um, and also I think you, I know I know like I will argue over free will and predestination until <laughs> I'm blue in the face. I just will because I just am so convinced. But I also don't go seeking it out anymore like I used to. It's not something that I'm looking to get into an argument over. It's not something that if someone is predestination oriented and I'm free will oriented that I feel the need to write I'm just gonna goad them about this all the time and I used to feel that way and I think as you learn more you just I don't know I for, for me personally I feel less of a need to be in a fight well and what I know about you personally is that I've never seen you dispose of a relationship because you disagreed with someone's no. theological position. Yeah. You and I have disagreed over plenty, but you never you never abandoned me as <laughs> sure. a result. Sure. Because that would be that that is when I think it would be much more problematic. Yeah. When you can stick it out with people regardless, I think that that's really special. Yeah. Yeah. But this whole thing about um, I think it's one of the biggest, like, this should be a, a screw tapian topic here. <laughs> that get people so disgusted with theology, all they can picture with it is, are the negatives. Yeah. And so they want to do away with the whole thing. And they just say things like, just preach. Right. You don't need theology, just preach. You don't need theology, um, read your Bible for yourself. Like... Those th you're still saying the same thing. Any yeah. conclusion you draw from Scripture is your theological conclusion. position. Yep, you're making a theological statement by saying you don't need theology, just preach. That's yeah. a theological statement. I remember being in a car with some guys, one yeah. who now has his, his uh, doctorate in New Testament history. <laughs> and he's a real heady, intellectual, brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. The guy next to me is the most compassionate guy I've ever met. It was a wonderful youth pastor. He's now the pastor of his own church. Okay. So you've got different perspectives of two really great people, who both who love God. And right. I'm sitting there going along for the ride, like literally. <laughs> <laughs> We're heading to a restaurant or something, and I brought up some topic. I can't remember what it was now. It got those two riled up. I probably did it on purpose. <laughs> the youth pastor, the super compassionate guy said, uh, you know, like, Greg, blah, 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 this doesn't matter here. All you need to do is, like, just just preach, man, and just just give them Jesus. To which I'll never forget, the, the intellectual guy who's really in, he, he's a strong proponent of your theology matters yeah. still. He just looked at him and said, why? And that question why, like the youth pastor, he just put his head down and gasped and just shook his head like in just disappointment because he knew that this argument was just going to go in circles. But yeah. the question of why you should just love someone or why you should just preach uh -huh. Jesus or why, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you answer the why, then you've given your theological position. Like, yeah. it's totally unavoidable. Right. So it was, uh, I'll never forget that little interaction. <laughs> he's like, just pre just just give them Jesus, man. Just preach Jesus. And he just goes, why? And the guy just goes, <laughs> whatever, man. Yeah. Like, it just kind of ended in a whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think there are temperament and personality orientations that will play into this but I think if your disposition is to be more compassionate and loving and less 
less heady, less intellectual, less academic. And I'm not saying an insult here. That's mm-hmm. not a, that's not a statement of intelligence, but, um, I think that there may be a good chance that it would be good for you to discipline yourself to become more academic or more intellectual, more heady, uh, just so that you can uh, understand the reasons why. Because someday you're going to be asked and you, mm-hmm. you, you need to know. Yeah. You need to have some sort of answer to give somebody, especially if you're in a position of leadership. But really, every Christian, it's not just church leaders like youth pastors or pastors. Someday, your family member is going to ask you why. And what are you going to do then? Mm-hmm. You, you don't necessarily always have to have every answer. I'm not saying that. But it, I think it's a good place to have a, a foundation of understanding to operate off of. Um, even if the majority of the time you're acting out of your disposition of being a loving, compassionate person that really doesn't care that much about this, you know, and, uh-huh. and the same goes for the other side too. Somebody like myself that tends to be less attached relationally and, and, um, drawn more to information and less about relationship. It's a good discipline for me to to listen to others when they point out things about how I'm relating that isn't the best, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and change, alter how I approach things because um, my my disposition just isn't wired that way. Yeah. But it's also not necessarily a good thing that I completely ignore it just because it's not how I'm wired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So every, everybody needs a, a healthy dose of the other side. Yeah. The other half. Yeah. We can all balance each other out. So we don't fall into extremes. Yeah. So. That's all I got, man. I th- I think this was good. I, you know, I could talk all night about why we should. Well, we could backpedal a little bit here, and why is it that Screw Tape thinks that we should get the patient? What is it about getting him to church hop that is creating? A critic instead of a humble student mm. like kind of in detail because I think that's there's so many people in the world that I hear that say well I'm a, I'm a Christian but I don't go to church I don't I just it's just me and Jesus and like why is that a dangerous thing or why is it a dangerous thing to be a church hopper mm-hmm. you know I mm-hmm. think that's significant to this chapter because these are the goals of the demons to get you to not go to church to get you to bounce around, according to C.S. Lewis here. Yeah. To get you to bounce around from church to church without any commitments, responsibilities, or identity as this is my home. Mm-hmm. You know, what? what is it about that that they, why do they want that? Um, and how does that create the critic or, or something negative that they desire? Mm-hmm. Are so, you asking? Are yeah, you I'm person? asking. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> I think... The critic, you are either a critic or you are committed. Yeah. And I think if you are a committed critic, that is a veneer for commitment. Uh-oh. You got all the alarms got going on. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, if you... If you stay committed to something and you're critical all the time, that sure sounds like abuse, abusive situations. 
um, or you make everyone around you miserable. Mm. And that to me is not, uh, that to me is not a faithful vision of what commitment is Mm -hmm. or fidelity. Mm. I mean, it's bound by love as you continue forward with other people. And so you can't be a committed critic. The two just, it's apples and oranges. Mm. But they, they, they're like false friends. They look like they can go hand in hand, but really people fall apart in that kind of environment. Yeah. If you're totally a critic, uh, you do a lot of damage mm-hmm. uh, to yourself and to other people. And um, I totally forgot your question. Well, why why, did, why, <laughs> why is it about making um, the patient in, for Screwtape and Wormwood be a church hopper? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah that yeah. makes him a critic. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, make him a church hopper so that, to me, it's so that he forever remains a critic and he doesn't learn commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, who doesn't know a highly critical person who when you're alone with your spouse or you're thinking in your own head uh, that person doesn't know jack about what they're talking about (laughs) and what do you mean when you say that you mean that person doesn't have enough time or experience under their belt to know half of what they're saying Like, that's kind of the problem with critics. Um, A lot of times, people who critique with that negative undertone, they haven't been around long enough to merit that. Mm. Um, And I'm almost tempted to break down that there are two different types of critics. You've got the sharp, negative, undertone... um, they're not enticing anybody to mm-hmm. any kind of love or togetherness or goodness. Then you have critics who are professional critics, like you've got artists and movie critics and writing yeah. critics. These people split hairs in fascinating ways that draw out new insights and visions for sure. a work. Yeah. They make it more beautiful by their investigation. Yeah. But they criticize because they were truly interested in the work. Right. So I'm not talking about that type. Right. I think I think we, we're both assuming we're talking about the really negative mm-hmm. person who just scoffs at it, everything. Everything, yeah. That type of criticism, I dare say, always lacks commitment. And you could even think about this. People who were committed and who become extremely critical, Mm -hmm. that's almost always a sign that they're on their way out, Mm -hmm. which means that they're not in it for the commitment anymore. It's like it's still not committed. So this idea of church hopping, I think, is to always keep someone from ever committing to something for a longer bout of time, which means you're going to get into some messy situations. Uh, it's not all roses. People are not as great as you mm-hmm. thought they were. Right. And then they're also way more incredible than you thought they were. Yeah. You get it all, man. Yeah. And it's hard to stick out. Yeah. 
I've given up on so many things. One comedian said, like, when he was in gym class and overweight and he was about to flunk out, he said the gym teacher looked at him and said, that boy's got a lot of quit in him. (laughs) 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 I've quit plenty of things in my life. Yeah. And then you learn, like, you kind of look back on some of them and you think, sure wish I would have stuck that out because, Mm -hmm. man, like, when you master a trade, there's nothing like it. Yeah. And then you understand the true depths and intricacies of it all, and it's beautiful. And you can say that about anything that you put your mind to and master. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that with everything, so you begin to pick and choose later on in life, I think. But for those who are just going to critique and critique and critique and be negative <clears throat> the whole way down, they really don't know commitment. Hmm. That's a good. That's a good response. I think my mind went to, well, first, I think that's a challenging response for me because I think my disposition is to criticize Oh. for some reason. Maybe it's the way I was raised. Um, I'm not saying that it was God's plan for me to be critical. <laughs> that's not what I mean when I say, but I do think that's, that's where I tend to fall a lot of times very quickly and easily is to become critical. And, um, whether we're talking church or work or a movie or whatever, I tend to slide into criticism pretty quickly and easily. And you don't mean the 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 nice artistic critic, the one who's not necessarily. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I'm, right now I'm talking about. I've done that too, but but um, right now I'm talking about the negative critic. Um, so that's a challenging response that you gave for me, that you can't be a committed critic, that the two are antithetical. If you're critical, you're not really committed. But the other thought I had um, in why does making the patient a church hopper make him a critic or something negative that the demons find desirable? And I thought, well, I think it's because it, it keeps his ego and his pride bolstered because he's now in charge and his opinion is what matters most. And as soon as he disagrees, he's going to hop to the next place. So he's the final word. So really, he's his own his own God. He's not able to... Because yeah. Screwtape talks about how the enemy or God desires that his followers be humble recipients in every regard and not a critic, that they just receive whatever nourishment's being offered. Of course, he says they're a critic in the sense that they reject what's true, but they don't dwell on that. Yeah. Or what's not true. They reject what's not true, but they don't dwell on that. They just receive whatever they're able to, to get and are humble and, and generous and, and um, just a real noble character in that regard. And so what I was thought was that well, it, it keeps, it makes him a critic because now he's in charge, hmm. the patient mm-hmm. or any individual yeah. um, that's, do, that's doing this because now they get the veto ultimately. So that means they're kind of their own God Yeah. because they aren't receiving from anybody else. They're just their own ideas. Yep. So yep. it's really kind of making them a narcissist too. He doesn't use that word in here. I just now thought of that. It is... Because I'm just, it's me and my my say is final. Mm. All, always. so Which isn't commitment. <laughs> no, no, that's not commitment. And so that, that allows you to be a critic, too. Yeah. We're like, what's a basic marketing principle? 
Like, if I asked you, Nathaniel, um, like, do you use an iPhone? Mm-hmm. Uh, which one do you have? Do you know? iPhone 12. You got iPhone 12. Uh, so you got dissatisfied with 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. I had Android before this, so. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I've got a newer iPhone. What made me dissatisfied with all the others? Yeah. I got dissatisfied with all the others because new ones keep coming out. Mm. And as long as I can keep finding newness and this freshness, this yeah. never-ending chase, uh-huh. I'm always going to critique the other ones. Yeah. So why not keep, really keep someone church hopping? Yeah. Well, they'll never land. The grass is always greener. Yep. Basic marketing scheme. And they will just critique, critique, critique. They've got some idea in their mind of the ideal that they're never going to find. Yeah. And so they're never going to land. They'll be floating around forever, totally dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that the the American dream, the materialistic mindset? It was to, like, when you get money, you can buy stuff, and when you buy stuff, you can be happy. Well, I make money now, and I buy stuff, and now I can't stop buying stuff. Yeah. Like, why didn't I get satisfied? Well, you keep yeah. showing me new new crap. New things, yeah. And I just become a critic in everything is, I have. This is going... I didn't pick up on this until we started talking about it. This is going all the way back to chapter one, where we're talking <laughs> about that constant stream of information. Yeah. Always more, always new, always fresh. And don't let them stop and focus or re- reflect. I mean... Yeah. And, and there's... You know, in our day and age, there's no end of... Especially if you live in a city, and Wichita's not that big of a city, but mm-hmm. there's endless options for yep. church attendance. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people go just for the food before yeah. the service starts. <laughs> sure. And why wouldn't you? That's a better offer than this other church over here. Or, sure. You know, so like marketing. Yeah. But. Capitalism produces critics. I'm not saying I'm against capitalism, but let's just face one of the outcomes of it. The more options you get, the more critiquing you're going to get. Because now you're in competition with other vendors. Sure. And competition's going to promote criticism. And if you buy into that model and... As a consumer, it's kind of it's just part of our culture, so it's hard to think of any other way. But with time and experience, you can come to the realization that you've been treating church like an iPhone. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that way. That's sad, you, but you're right. You could stick it out. Yeah. Just like people come to the realization with their iPhones, you know what, I'm going to turn off the automatic updating on my phone so that it will last longer. I don't need all the newest updates. Yeah. And so maybe I'll keep this iPhone for more than a year. Yeah. You know. And so maybe people can they apply that mindset with time and experience at their church too. Yeah. Kind of like what we're talking about. I've gotten past the music criticism. We've gotten past this some of the preaching criticism. Yeah. So like you learn with time that you don't have to Right. Give it that capitalism experience. Well and you get a there's a there's a there's, I think, more than that, too. You get to see... I was talking to Mariah the other night. Um, she was... She, my wife has been out of town this week until last night, and 
um, she, uh, which was Tuesday, she was down on the floor loving on the dogs because she hasn't been around the dogs uh-huh. for several days. And um, I was just looking at her and I was thinking about how much, um, and for those listeners that don't know, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but we almost divorced in 2020. Mm-hmm. And by the grace of God, we didn't and he brought us back together and um, we're still married but I was thinking about all the different versions of her just in, and we've only been married we got married in 2014 then it's 2023 mm-hmm. however many years that is I'm shy of 10 years yeah just shy of 10 years so but how many different versions of her I've gotten to see in life and how much she's grown and how far she's come in ways and places and things that I never imagined she would grow in, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing to reflect on and remember and think about and, and experience with somebody. Yeah. And when you're committed in a church, you get to do that with other people. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know? Yep. It's easy to go to church, and but this isn't really commitment either, and just stay in the corner, which is easy for me to do because <laughs> I'm introverted. But... Um, but you get to do that with other people. And also, if you're not going to church because we're not happy with the people or we're critical all the time, we're not, but we're saying we're Christians. Mm-hmm. We aren't being gracious mm-hmm. the way that Christ would call us to be. Yeah. We're not forgiving others. We're not living examples of the grace we've been given when we refuse to go to church because of p- criticism or people or we've been hurt and now we're critical and and wounded like there's a time to grieve and take a break and rest and heal but there's a time to get back to it mm-hmm. you know and not stay there forever and it, and if you stay there forever you aren't being a reflection of Christ yeah. in the way that you should be and mm-hmm. I don't mean that to be hurtful or my nose up and I'm looking down my nose at you but it's also true like you can't not go to church because of all this unforgiveness and all these critical excuses that you've created and also pretend to be a gracious loving example of Christ because mm-hmm. you're just not being that mm-hmm. by by having so much unforgiveness towards his church mm. so it's like even in the congregation you're saying is your time to exemplify Christianity yeah for sure mm-hmm. yeah Anyway, that's my thoughts. Maybe is there a more positive note to end on so we're not doing spiritual abuse and making you feel terrible about yourself if you're in a certain situation? (laughs) Um, I think just going to church, this chapter makes it so clear that it is very important as Christians. It's not a part of your salvation, but it is very important. Um, for a whole lot of reasons and we've barely touched on half of them if that so yeah I think if anything it just you've we've belabored the cautions you know yeah I think people sense deep down what those what those really unsatisfactory things are when they step foot in a congregation yeah sometimes you step foot in one and you just know mm-hmm you're not feeling a connection with the people with the pastor and that's worth exploring. Mm. I would say give it some time. Give yeah. it many more visits. Yeah. Get to know some people. Um, but sometimes I think you just know. 
Yeah. And, you know, for relationships to form between people, you've got to relate. Yes. And if you're just not relating, you're just not relating. And um, without relating, there's no friendship. There's no bond happening there, you know. True. So I think those are things to be mindful of. But um, when you do, and I, I encourage everybody to do it, the church can just be the most incredible, beautiful thing yeah. and resourceful thing you've ever experienced and you didn't even know you needed. Yeah. <laughs> They're there for you in your darkest times. Man, it's amazing how they can be there for you. Yes, yeah. it is, which we've both experienced. Yeah. And um, our congregation has showed up for Kelly and me in, um, in unspeakable ways. Yeah. And they just keep showing up. Yeah. Our, our, our pastor. Well, I probably shouldn't say exactly because I don't know what I'm allowed to share. So I need to be careful here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, same thing. Just phenomenal support and offers for help. You know mm-hmm. that just. And that was you know we left that church in Montana years ago, but it was the same way there. That the people were amazing. Yeah. You know, for all their faults, and all my faults. The, the support that they offer is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So go to church, everyone. Yeah. That's <laughs> positive. Yep. You've been listening to Only an Inkling. If you like this podcast, you already know what to do. 